We're going to be talking about Acts this year. One of our main practices as a church is to take books of the Bible and work through them verse by verse, partly because it helps us to, to, to stay humble, to know that, that we come to the Bible as people who need its message, that we don't already know what we need, so we don't go to the Bible looking for support for things we already believe or think. We, we need what it offers in ways we can't even predict. So we come to it and do our best to understand it on its terms and to take what it gives us verse by verse to, to, to sort of keep ourselves accountable to that. Our preaching style is to, to take a book of the Bible and to, to handle it verse by verse all the way from beginning to end. And this year what we're going to do is, is take our time through the book of Acts. It's a book I want to use some time this morning to introduce you to. One of our practices uh, has been to, to take the first sermon in a new series on a new book of the Bible and try to give a bird's eye view of what that book includes, to try to give you not just uh, you know, an appetite for what we're going to talk about, but also some tools for how to get ready to make the most of it. Um, and that's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to try to introduce you to Acts in one sermon. So here we go. Uh, Acts is an incredible book. It's full of surprising and unique stories. In fact, it's full of stories that cover pretty much the whole range of our reading and viewing interests. There are adventure stories in Acts. features a band of brothers soldiering on against life-threatening odds. There are prison breaks and a shipwreck scene, and in some cases, some pretty graphic violence. There's courtroom drama in Acts. Paul, the apostle, goes before a range of Roman power figures to state his case for Jesus and for what it means to follow him. There are character studies in Acts, for those of you who are more into drama, character stories that will have remarkable transformations. And for the fantasy lovers out there, running throughout this story is a, is a sizzling supernatural element where, where superhuman forces intervene in the world of men in all sorts of dramatic and unexpected ways. But this story diverse and powerful in these ways and many more. This is a story that came together not with details carefully thought up by an author who's very creative, but came together through facts carefully gathered by a researcher who knew he was dealing with truth. It wasn't his to arbitrate. It was his to communicate. This story was written not to entertain us, in other words, but was written based on careful research by a man who was there to encourage us and to teach us. Everything important to the author of this story depends on this story being true. And I don't mean being true in the rings true sense, that every good novel is true, but in the actually happened for real sense in which good history is true. One of the most important things for Christians is what happened to real people, people as real as me and you, in history, in time, just like ours. And this story will help us to see why history is so important to the faith that we hold. Now, tradition tells us, and, and, and congealed pretty quickly, uh, that, that this book was written by a man named Luke, a traveling companion of the Apostle Paul who wrote first a, a story about Jesus' life and teachings, what we know as the Gospel of Luke, and then wrote this book as a companion, a kind of sequel 
wrote it, dedicating it to the same person and wrote it for the same basic reasons. For in Luke chapter 1, he tells us he wrote that book so you could know for certain the things that, that, that have happened, the things that you believe. And Acts just carries on that story with that same purpose. Now, what I want to do this morning is read to you from, uh, from Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 5, a, a little bit of the introduction to this book. We're going to come back to these verses next week and going gonna, and gonna to unpack them in a lot more detail. We're not going to just follow them through in, uh, at every point this morning. What I want to do is use them as a launching pad to introduce the entire book to you, to give you a 30,000-foot view and, and give you a little sense of what we can expect from our year together. So, I want to begin by reading these five verses. I'm going to ask you to stand with me in honor of God's word while I do that. This is the word of the Lord to us from Acts chapter 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he'd given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. This is God's word, and you can be seated. I've mentioned already that I want to use this as a chance to introduce the whole book to you. I want to give you three things that this book is about. There are three things that I'm going to mention today, try to give you a little taste of, but that we're going to come back up as themes over and over again as we work our way through this incredible set of stories. What is Acts about? Well, first... It's about the God who's at work in the world. Acts is about the God who's at work in the world. It, one of the things that helps me most when I'm preparing to teach to you guys from the Bible is to read some scholars who have a lot more training and knowledge than I have talking back and forth to one another about what's going on in these ancient texts. In my experience, one of the most helpful, um, or rather the most helpful things about writers like this is that they... They're trained not just in theology or Bible or the language of the Greeks, but they're also trained in ancient history. They know the culture and the literature of the time and place where the Bible's writers grew up. They, they, they get that training because these scholars know that the writers they want to understand didn't grow up in a vacuum. Sometimes seeing how these writers adapted the things that were common to them in their time and place... To, to see how they ad- adapted those things helps to, helps to see what they're really trying to do. They're taking familiar forms sometimes and making them their own. And wa- the ways they make them their own are the, are the keys to us understanding what they're trying to do and how we can learn from it. I think Acts is a great example of that. And, and one of the most important things that I came across in reading these scholars writing about Acts that was helpful to me is that the, the, the Acts was a, a common type of book in the ancient world. It's the kind of book that would tell the story of some great hero. Acts is not a new genre being developed right here for this story. It was already out there. It was a thing. And Luke just came up with one of his own. In fact, the the title, Acts of the Apostles, it's not anywhere in the manuscript. It's not like Luke put that title over his book so that we would all know what he was doing here. It's a title that got added later because when the first readers read this book, they could tell that's what this was. 
They knew what acts were. They'd probably read, some of them had probably read other acts of great figures in Greek or Roman, Greek or Roman past. They knew what to do with this story. They could tell that this is a story with a hero. But that raises a question. Who's the hero? Who's at work in these twists and turns? Eventually, the title Acts of the Apostles was added to this book. That's what it carries in, in, our, in our translations. You probably see that at the top of the page where we just read. And I, it makes sense that they would put that title on this book. There's a lot of focus on the apostles. It even comes through in verse 2, what we just read. Right at the very beginning, he's drawing us to what Jesus passed on to the apostles whom he had chosen. These were men who lived with him, who heard him teach and saw him do the things that he did in his life on earth. They were then men who saw him risen to life again after his death. And they talked to him after he had been raised again. And, and were taught all about the kingdom of God. The verses we've just read tell us that. The apostles are all over this story. And it's important that we learn from them because they're the ones given the job of making sure the truth got out about who Jesus is and what he said. But there are good reasons to believe that the apostles actually aren't the point. They aren't the, the, the central characters of this story. The title is actually a little bit misleading in that way. And I think spending a couple minutes here is important for helping us get ready to understand what this book is really about. So, so, so yeah, of course, there's a lot of talk about the apostles in this, in this story. That's going to be some of our favorite moments is to watch what happens to them. There's, there's, uh, there's, there's a lot of focus on Peter, for example. At the very beginning of the book, he's the main one who's, who's getting a, a lot of screen time. And my goodness, are we better for it. I mean, some of the character development I mentioned earlier that makes this book super interesting is, is character development about Peter. I mean, the last thing that happened to him before he comes on the scene and acts, uh, the, the thing he's most known for at this point is denying Jesus when the rubber met the road. When Jesus was being tried and then crucified... Peter denied even knowing him. That's who Peter has been in the story so far. But this character, known most for denying Jesus, now becomes the one who's leading out in preaching about Jesus, even when he's captured and told by rulers, men with the power to kill him, not to do it anymore. He tells them he's got to do what Jesus says, not what they say, and, and keeps on preaching, no matter what. Or Peter who starts out here in this story as one of the most zealous and passionate Jewish men, men who, for whom their ethnic identity was, was so important to them and their history and their sense of themselves. Peter, that Peter, becomes the instrument for getting the gospel to Gentiles through a story that, that I can't wait to tell you uh, as, as he becomes the one to take the gospel to a man named Cornelius. There's some awesome character development, and Peter's at the heart of a lot of it. But Peter drops out of the story before the halfway point of this book. This isn't a book about Peter. This is not the acts of that apostle. Halfway in, he's gone and doesn't really come back. The other main character that, that you might think this story is about is Paul. And for good reason. Because about where Peter leaves off, Paul takes center stage in this story. Paul is another amazing character described by Luke with some wonderful details. He's one where we, who we see develop. From the man who was most passionately committed to snuffing out the, the church when it first began. If you think about the, about the gospel taking root in Jerusalem as a kind of fire that begins to burn, Paul is the man who's first trying to stomp it out with his foot, throw the cloak over it to snuff it out. That's his job. And then he becomes the one who does more than anything to spread that fire all over the world. It's an amazing arc for this character. And we're going to enjoy 
watching him take the gospel all the way to Rome. That said, Paul's story is dropped at the end of the book completely unresolved. The book ends with Paul in prison, waiting on a trial before Caesar. That's an odd place to end a book if he's the main hero. See, see what I, the reason I'm going to these details is that what I want you to know as we prepare to go story by story through this book is that even though the apostles are really important to what's happening here, the main character in this story is God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. You can see it even in these very first verses that I've read and what they hint at. They hint at themes that play out through the rest of the book. For example, in verse 1 that I've read, he talks to Theophilus about the first book that he wrote, which dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Did you see that? First book was, what, was about what he, he began to do and teach. What does that imply? The second book is about what he continues to do and teach. So even though Jesus is raised outside of the history of this world, in the very first chapter of this book, he ascends to his father. Uh, Luke is implying here that the rest of the book is still about him because he's a risen savior who is now at a command center from which he continues to interact with the things that are going on in the world. He's not dead. He didn't die as a martyr. He died as a savior who lives and reigns and offers a kingdom to anybody who will take it. Another way that that the Acts makes this point is through prophecies. There's a ton of places in Acts where an Old Testament prophecy is cited and then, and then we're saying that this thing that happened right here, uh, it fulfills that Old Testament prophecy. What's that telling you? God is the one who's at work here. He's orchestrating all of it according to his plan. Everything is happening exactly as he intended it to happen. Uh, among the, pro- uh, the, the promises that are fulfilled in this story, I mean, none of them are, are, are any more crucial than the promise that God would pour out his spirit on his people. The Holy Spirit is all over this story, doing all sorts of incredible things from the very beginning of the story to the very end of it. We're going to see it, bringing life to to the dead, opening the eyes of people who who don't have anything for Jesus until he changes their hearts, giving them a power that they couldn't have imagined before. And and this, this theme, the centrality of God to the action that's happening here, nobody gets that better than the apostles themselves. One of the things you're going to see over and over is that as they're doing these amazing things through the power of the Spirit, sometimes people want to worship them. They come to the apostles as if these are the guys they need at the center of their life because these are going to be their conduit to a power they've never experienced before. And every time that happens, the apostles are going to deflect. No, 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 this is not about me. I'm not God. I'm a man like you. Over and over, they're pointing back to the real central character, the real hero of this story, and making sure that everybody knows it's God, it's not them. Friends, I, what, I'm trying to, what I'm trying to say here, really, is that... Let me, let me speak to you directly if you're not a Christian this morning. What, what this story is going to give you is an, an, a fantastic example of one of our main beliefs as Christians. One of our main beliefs as Christians is that there is a personal God behind everything that is. A God who made us, who made everything else, and that this God who made us continues to intervene in the world that he made and that he upholds. He's an active character even now. And just as surprising as the fact that he keeps on intervening, 
is the fact that according to, his, according to this book, he intervenes because he's invested. Because our history is important to him. It matters. So, so let me just push this a little bit further. I want to say two things about this before I move on to the next point. Still talking about, the, about, about Acts as a book that tells us of the God who is at work in the world. Let me, let me just make two quick points here that I think will help you get ready to appreciate this theme. First, I want to make sure you know that Christians do believe miracles are possible. By miracles, I mean things that happen in this world, in our history, in our time, in our space that, that are off the charts of our explanation of our power to explain. We do believe that. But before you let that turn you off to Acts, let me make sure you understand what we believe about miracles like the ones this book teaches. It doesn't mean that we deny a sort of natural order out there, that there are laws of nature we can depend on. We actually believe that as much as you do. We believe, in fact, that God stands behind them. That the reason that there are laws we can depend on that help us to understand how the world works and how we work within it depends on a God who gave us those laws, who set them up and upholds them and keeps them from falling apart. So it's our belief in these laws that gives us the confidence to study the world. It's the reason so many of you out there are in the sciences. You're studying things that you believe have cohesiveness and coherence because of the God who made them. And that gives you reason to, to make the effort. And, and, and what I want you to know is that even Luke, the author of this book, he believes there are laws of nature, things we can depend on about the way the world works. That's why he's so taken with these miracles. His mind is blown by these things. He's as surprised by them as you are because he knows the, that these things shouldn't be possible. That's why he's telling you about them. That's what makes this such a unique and incredible story in his mind. Something off the charts is happening here that we shouldn't expect. We don't, it's, it's not that we believe that, that it's the Wild West out there and anything goes. We're as surprised by miracles as, as you are. But what we believe is that the God who set up these laws isn't restrained by these laws that he set up. He isn't walled off from the details of this world we live in, but is still actively involved in all of it. And, and he's actively involved in it because he's invested in it. And, and what, my encouragement to you, friends, if, if you're here and, and this supernatural element I've just put on your radar is already starting to turn you off to this study, my, my encouragement to you would be this. Before you dismiss this book as ancient mythology or fable, I want to encourage you to ask what evidence you have that it isn't possible for a God who could create, could, who could establish these laws to intervene in ways that aren't constrained by these laws. What evidence do you have that that isn't possible? Friends, the question is not whether there are laws of nature that we all depend on. Everybody agrees on that. The question is whether there is anything beyond these laws that does have the freedom to intervene. That's the first thing I want to note about God's activity in the world and to try to prepare you for that theme as we keep pushing through it together. The other thing I want to note, this one is, I think, most, going to be most encouraging to those of you who are believers this morning. To me, one of the, what's most encouraging of all about this story is not the incredible, miraculous interventions that catch headlines, if you will. 
What's most encouraging of all to me and what Acts illustrates so well for us is that this God who's still at work in the world is not only at work when the laws of nature are overcome or transcended. He is just as fully at work even when things look terrible. Acts is going to give us example after example of this in action. So sometimes his work is obvious because somebody's being plucked up from one place and dropped down in another place so that the gospel can go out to a place that it hasn't been and people can come to know Jesus. But he's just as at work when someone is plucked out of normal life and thrown into a prison, carted all over the Roman Empire. He's at work not just when the dead are raised, that really happens in this book, but when the apostles are killed for their faith. That's his work. He's at work not just when the sick are healed, that happens too. But when the bodies of faithful Christians are broken because of their testimony to Jesus, that happens in Acts too, that's his work. He's at work not just when the jail doors are broken down, but when the apostles are locked up in the first place and hauled far away from home and shipwrecked and snake-bitten and all sorts of other terrible things that happen to them in this story. He's at work, friends, not just in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, but in the cross that killed Jesus in the first place. As Peter's first sermon tells us, the first sermon that Peter delivers says that Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, killed on purpose, by design, and then just as surely God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death. That's Acts chapter 2. This story is a story about God who's at work in all of it. And it's a story that's about God because it's a story that's written to encourage us. It's not written to inspire us, not first and foremost. It's not meant to to stir us up to go and do likewise, even though it, it does. It's written for our encouragement. To show us that God hasn't actually left us alone that he isn't actually finished with us yet. That he didn't come into this world to give us a boost and then leave us to keep the momentum going. He knows, Luke knows, and the God who inspired him knows that we don't need inspiration so much as we need encouragement. And encouragement comes from knowing that God is at work even when we can't see it, even when we can't understand his ways. Acts is about the God who is always at work in the world. We get a little taste of what he's doing in this book. And that brings me to the second thing that Acts is about. So it's about the God who's at work in the world. It's also, secondly, about the work that God is doing in the world. That's another major thing in this book, and it's going to stretch from beginning to end. If God is at work in the world, and that's what Acts is meant to show us, what exactly is he doing? What's he working on? That's what brings the central plot of Acts to the front. Acts is the story of God using his power to spread his word all over the world just as he promised he would do. I want to talk about that spread and how it gives a kind of cohesion to the story that Acts tells. But before we do that, I want to first make sure you know what I mean by the word that spread. That's going to be referred to a lot in this book. And I want to make sure you know what it is. What is this word? What is the message that's going out all over the world? One of the great benefits of Acts to us is that it gives us some long speeches that the first witnesses to Jesus gave to those who were the first to hear about him. 
So, I mean, for, for the same reason that it's helpful, if you want to understand the history of our country, it's helpful to know about the Declaration of Independence or the Federalist Papers, or the, the sort of founding documents of those who set it all up. It's really helpful in Acts to see our, our version of those founding documents, to, to, to see the men who were charged by God to be witnesses to Jesus based on what they'd seen and heard, giving their summary of who he is and what it means to follow him to the first people they talked to. We get a lot of those speeches in Acts. So if you're interested in what it means to be a Christian, considering whether Christianity might be for you, you're going to have a great opportunity in this story. You're going to see a basic message that comes through in speech after speech, starting in chapter 2 and carrying on from there. In this speech after speech, this message that kind of congeals across the different apostles, you're not going to get a lot of focus on how it all works. That comes out more in the letters that Paul wrote and others wrote. But you're going to get instead a strong focus on who's at the center of this message. The message, the word that's spreading all over the world is a message about Jesus. Jesus as the fulfillment of all of Israel's hopes. Jesus as the one that Israel had known as the Messiah, the anointed one who would come to be the one through whom God would bring peace to his people and all over the world. This is the one we've been waiting for. That's at the heart of the message. The message is going to remind us and clarify for us that the way Jesus functions as an anointed one, as a king who brings peace, is not what anyone was expecting. It would involve a death that he would die on purpose so that sinners could be forgiven, so that we don't have to be banished from a kingdom we're not worthy of, but can be brought into it as those who who fully and truly belong through him. And it's a message of how how we're able to participate in this kingdom, how we get... the advantage of this forgiveness and the peace that he's promised it's always through repentance and faith they're going to call us to pledge allegiance to this king and not to any other now obviously i'm just scratching the surface here but i do want you to know especially if you're considering what it means to be a christian this series is going to be a profound opportunity for you to hear it from the men who were given the job of telling it to you and we're going to go deep into these things i'm only scratching the surface on this morning i hope you'll join us what I want to make sure you notice now about this second point, the work that God is doing in the world, is how the spread of this word provides a nice structure for the plot of Acts. We're going to see this as we move through it week by week. The theme of witness to Jesus, of, of communicating this word about who he is and what he's, what he's done, comes out right in the first chapter of Acts. It's something we're going to talk a lot about next week. In chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says this to his apostles. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. What he's given us here is a kind of structure for the whole book. The earliest chapters show the gospel, the news about Jesus, the witness that they're bearing going on around Jerusalem and in Judea. That's the first step in the first several chapters of the book. Then the book moves on from there to Samaria where a lot of people who are being persecuted for being Christians in Jerusalem, they scatter, they run north, where there's more space to move and get around and not have to fear for their lives. And what they take with them into the north, into Samaria, is the gospel that got them persecuted in the first place. We see that happen next. And then from there, especially through the work of the Apostle Paul, we see the gospel going out throughout the entire Roman Empire as churches begin to see themselves as responsible for taking this news to people who don't have it yet. In fact... 
to me, one of the coolest things about how this story plays out, there's several different summary statements that Luke makes where he's been talking about stories and then he steps back and he gives you a kind of editorial comment on what's been happening. People see these as, as good markers for how the story is progressing and that, that's what Luke was trying to do with them. And at the three most important of them, the markers he's giving us are essentially the same. Listen to what he says in verse 7 of chapter 6. Summing up the first six chapters of the book, his point is, the word of God continued to increase. Now chapter 12, verse 24, another summary of the next six chapters of the book. The word of God increased and multiplied. Then chapter 19, verse 20, summarizing the last eight chapters. So, he writes, the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. And all this builds to the last chapter of the book, chapter 28, where the Apostle Paul, the standard bearer for Christianity in this time, is locked in irons in Rome, thrown into prison by the most powerful man in his world. And the final summary statement that Luke gives us at the very end of the book is basically that even the emperor couldn't stop, couldn't even hinder the spread of this word. He only enabled it. Here's the last, here's the last verse of the book. He, meaning Paul, lived there two whole years at his own expense, there being Rome, and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Not even the emperor could hinder the spread of this world, of this, of this word. That is the work that God is doing in the world. The book starts with a call to be witnesses from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. And it tells that story, beginning in Jerusalem and ending in Rome with nothing to stop it. Friends, this is a book written to encourage us with who's at work in the world, but also written to invite us to join the work that he's doing, to stake your life here, to take up his call in verse 8 of chapter 1, to be his witnesses all over the world. And what it is, is a promise. What this book is, is a promise that, that if you take up that call, if you stake your life here, if you choose to make your life about this work, you can't fail. It's happening without hindrance, even now, because of the God who's at work behind it all. Acts is not just an encouragement, it's an invitation. And the last thing I want to say about this incredible book to whet your appetite and to finish up this morning is that Acts is about the role that God has given to us in this work. So I've just said it's an invitation, right, to you and to me to join in the work that this book describes raises a question. What exactly does it mean to join this work? What is our role? What's, what's given to us to do? For whatever reason, it helps me to think about this, about how all of these pieces that I've put in front of you interact through, uh, through imagining a canoe going down a river. I like to do a lot of canoeing. Maybe that's why it makes sense for me. We'll see if it works for you. In Acts, think of, think of God's power at work in the world as, as the, uh, the man or the woman who sits in the back of the canoe and paddles. That canoe is only going to go anywhere if someone supplies some force. And not only are they going to have to paddle, they're going to have to steer from back there. So God's power at work in the world is the, the canoe driver who's both supplying the power and the direction for where this thing goes. Think about the word, the spread of this message as the canoe 
being powered by God in this world. And now what I want you to think about is the wake that that word creates. That canoe moving through the water creates a wake, something, some, some, a ripple effect. What is that? The wake that's created by this spread of, uh, of the message about Jesus backed by the power of God is quite simply local churches. It's us. We are the wake that's created by this spread. So what we're going to get to do is look at how God invites us to join the work he's doing by inviting us to invest in local churches. Now, we have to be careful here, friends, because no question what catches your eye when you read through Acts is the, is the vivid, on-the-surface supernaturalism of it all. And if this is all that we lock into and start to think that this, this thick layer of the supernatural should be normal for us, I think we're missing the point. Uh, again, I think that the, the, the miracles that we're going to consider together in this book, they work in the book. They function in the book simply because they aren't expected to be normal. Because they're worthy of note. Because they, they are completely off the charts of expectation. It's shocking stuff, unprecedented and not promised to us. That's why it works. We are not promised that we'll have the power to raise the dead on command. That's why later letters are going to call on us to mourn with those who mourn and to grieve over death, but not as those who have no hope. We don't expect the power to just stand up and start speaking other languages that we've never studied. That's why people like Victoria spend years studying languages they didn't grow up with so that they can communicate the gospel in ways that other people can understand. See, if we, if we misread all the supernatural elements... We're going to miss the underlying simplicity and beauty of what's really the end game to it all. What's left behind when the, the sizzle of the supernatural has cooled down. Throughout this story, what's always left behind are the basic elements of local church life. Now, Acts isn't a manual on how to do local church life. It isn't trying to be comprehensive. There's a reason that there are a bunch of letters in the New Testament along with these stories. But that said, Acts gives us a precious window into what the apostles were setting up as they went around preaching the gospel. We see local churches like that one in Antioch sending out evangelists like Paul and Barnabas. We see those who come to believe through their words being baptized and brought together into the life of the church. We see the church being careful to record how many were baptized they, they keep track of their numbers in this book. It matters to them, not because they've got uh, some, something to brag about, but because they know they're responsible for one another. They need names and numbers to go on with those who are believing because they're now on the hook for being their support system as Christians. We see them gathering weekly, and we get even a little taste of what they did when they gathered. They gathered to listen to teaching, just like you're doing now. They gathered to eat together. They gathered to pray they gathered to share their resources with one another so no one lacked anything. We see them setting up leaders, elders in every church that's been founded so that they keep going in the right direction and have someone to teach to them. This book is not meant to show us that, that the work of God is always spontaneous and unpredictable. Sometimes the means that he uses to do his work are unexpected and surprising. We shouldn't deny that. But the ends of... In, in, in mind, the end game, 
what we see as the wake of his word making its way through the world, it's just really simple and standard stuff. Churches that evangelize and disciple and baptize and form new churches who evangelize and disciple and baptize and form new churches all gathered around the teaching of God's word. As one person put it, rinse and repeat to the ends of the earth. So Acts is an encouragement to us, an invitation to us to join in the work God is doing and in in its own way a guide to us for our role in this work. I want to encourage you to take this week to read the entire book you can do it in less than three hours if you, if you put your mind to it and turn off your phone. You should be able to read it in less than three hours. And I think you'll get a wonderful bird's eye view from that. I think it's a really helpful exercise. If you want to do it on audio, you know, some of you, that's like, what, two days allotment on I-440? It's not, not that much of a commitment. And I think you will really benefit from it. I also want to recommend to you a companion that I'm going to be using a lot in my study. One of my favorite overviews of this book is a commentary on it by a pastor named John Stott. There are a couple of them on the resource table out there. And then finally, I want to call you to pray through this series. To pray for the word to spread among and through us as a church. To pray for your opportunities with people who don't know Jesus. To pray for your friends, specifically and by name. To pray for the ministry of our church bearing witness to him here in our city and to pray for new workers to rise up from among us to take this gospel to places that don't have it yet. And we're going to expect that the same God who's so obviously at work in this story is at work among us now. And he could keep on doing what he's always been doing through us. I want to pray pray for that now as we continue to worship. Father, I I thank you for even the chance we've had this morning to look at your word and to to see what you're doing and to expect that you'll keep on doing good work even in our time and in our church. We do pray that as we look carefully verse by verse at this precious set of stories, your spirit would help us to see the beauty of Jesus in all of them. We pray that we would pay attention to what we need to pay attention to, that we would see you at work in all of it that our hearts would be drawn into deeper dependence on you and encouragement in you because of what we consider here. And we pray that people who don't yet know Jesus would come to know him because we are motivated and equipped through this book to take the gospel to them. We pray that for people who are even now all around the world and without access to Jesus. We pray that you would guide us, that you would equip us, and you would encourage us through our year together in this book. In Jesus' name, amen.